Welcome back to the Early Weigh-In Podcast. This week for UFC Las Vegas, going down at the Virgin Hotel in Las Vegas. Not being called UFC Vegas 71, it looks like, anymore. Uh, but headlining it is everyone's favorite bantamweight and Piotr Jan as he takes on Aljo's main sparring training partner here in Merab, Devalishvili, an exciting five-rounder here. In the co-main event, we do gain a few pounds as we go up to the heavyweight main or co-main uh, Alexander Volkov versus Alexander Romanov. Clash of styles. Should be a real exciting one there. And we are back up to 14 fights here with the rebooking of Krylov versus Span and the return of uh, Jared Gooden back to the UFC here on short notice. Prelims start at 3 p.m. Eastern. A nice early night of fights like we like. And I think we got a pretty decent showing, to be honest with you, man. Hopefully that we can find some spots to keep the heater rolling. Uh, coming off the heels of UFC 285, the return, of, the return of the GOAT, John Jones, absolutely made it look too easy, man. And uh, Viva Mexico, break out the Maracas, Alexa Grasso, shipping it for us both, man, with the first fourth round submission. Uh, best night we have both had to date, over 25 units combined profit. Uh, almost nothing but green for you to go over. Yeah, like we were saying beforehand, I'm sure you don't mind wearing the casual cap whenever we got this to show for it. We'll take a look over at your card first. Your best bet of the night was Marc-Andre Berrio. Um, you had him for two units at minus 145. That was a good hit. He ended up just kind of outlasting Marquez where we knew he would start to drop off and Berrio would start picking up. He definitely performed like we wanted. The only miss of the night was the Mana Martinez underdog shot at plus 250. Honestly, it, it sucked that he got fouled so many different times. I thought you might have been, uh, you know, given that with the point deduction and everything. But that was the only miss on the night. It was the overs in the co-main event that I think were highlighted on your card. You had the over one and a half, two and a half, and three and a half. All ended up hitting, and the over three and a half was at even money. Um, looking back down or down over the card, the Grasso by submission stab. I mean, the whole night, like you said, we were on fire. Uh, you ended up winning 12.20 units with 100% return on investment. Don't think you could really ask for more. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving over to my card, I uh, hit the Alexa Grasso money line at plus 460. I got on it a little bit early. I wish I would have waited just a little bit longer, but uh, love to hit that. I took another dog shot on Vivian Arujao. I didn't like that performance really yeah, at all. She looked decent early. I guess she landed the shots I expected her to, but Rebus, um, I don't Paster. know. What was that? Yeah, outpaced Paster. her. And, you know, I thought Arujao had answered her cardio problems with her last fight with five rounds, but that just wasn't the case. Um, and then moving down the card, me and you both, we ended up playing the Trevin Jones scorecards, no action. We thought that he had all the finishing upside in the fight. We knew that he had an incredible chin. And that one ended up being voided. It was the plus 500 Garbrandt by decision for one unit that ended up hitting. Uh, best case scenario, that was you know five units to the to my card. And uh, let me see. The one that I was the most upset about was probably the Ribovic scorecard, no action. It was the first fight to start the card, and it looked like it was going to cash. He had him in a couple bad spots. And uh, thankfully, I didn't have to worry about the decision, although it was a very, very good close fight. Um, I ended up the night positive 13.98 units with an 80% return on investment. And hopefully we can, uh, you know, continue to to keep this going because this was, uh, like you said, the best performance that we've ever had. So we're looking to come back strong here. In our main event, we go to the Bantamweight division where we see Piotr Jan taking on Mirab Davishvili. 
What a run for what a lot of people consider to be the pound-for-pound greatest fighter in the UFC to end up going 1-3 and in his last four. Uh, Peter Yan has definitely had a controversial career as of late, but truthfully, I don't think he's got anyone to blame but himself. Um, I'm in the community of people that think skill for skill, Yan could outperform just about anyone, but I liken him a lot to another guy in the UFC, Magomed Ankyulayev. They're too worried about making the fight look pretty. They don't have a sense of urgency until it's too late in the fight. And it's like they think that if they can outpoint an opponent in a closely contested fight, that it's a lock for them on the scorecards. I mean, how many times do they have to get screwed by the judges to realize you can't expect, you know, the three idiots that the Nevada State Athletic Commission throws out there to be able to consistently choose the right side and contested high-level fights. If they're not looking at somebody bleeding from the mouth or in top control, uh, you know, it's impossible for them to have a clear, all three of them agree on whose round it is. And just to put it into perspective on how difficult Jan makes it for the judges, in the last two fights that he's won by decision, He's been outstruck in both of those. In the Corey Sandhagen fight, he was outstruck 169 to 149. And in the Jimmy Rivera fight, he was outstruck 73 to 56. Both of those by unanimous decision, but he doesn't like to make it easy, even in fights that he's dominating. I think my biggest concern for Jan in this fight are the optics. Um, here's, you know, here's the thing. I just went on this whole spiel about how Jan can allow his fights to look closer, whether it's a lack of volume or a lack of urgency. And he's now standing across the octagon against somebody who's literally called the machine, man. You know, mm-hmm. I, one thing is for sure. It's that Mirab can keep the most insane pace in the UFC for 15 minutes. You know, uh, I mean, dude has eclipsed 10 takedowns in three fights since entering the UFC. He's top 10 for most takedowns in the UFC. Hasn't ever fought for a title. He's averaging six and a half takedowns per fight. And I mean, we're talking historic numbers here. I, I, you know, his takedown numbers are what Max Holloway's striking numbers are in the UFC. He really is in a class of his own when it comes to that. Now, my biggest concern for Mirab coming into this fight is this is his first five-rounder. I'm curious to see if it affects how fast or how aggressive he comes out, knowing that he has 10 more minutes of fight time than usual. But I'm doubtful he does that, though. You know, he comes off as the type of guy who only has one gear, and it's give it everything that you got till you can't. Um, I think Mirab is in trouble if this fight stays on the feet for an extended amount of time. I think he can only throw so many spinning attacks before Jan you know, starts to catch on and looks to counter those. The only exception is that if it does stay on the feet, if Mirab can force the, the fight to take place up against the cage and just grind on Piotr, in my eyes, I, you know, I, I do think that we're expecting an odd fight, to say the least. Outside of Piotr finishing Mirab late because of the unknowns in Mirab's game plan, I think we're either getting a grind fest from Mirab for 25 minutes or a difficult fight to score from a judging perspective because Jan can't help himself. For both those reasons, I'm out on the fight, but I am curious to hear your take. I know you've already placed a bet on Jan, so give it to me. Yeah, man, I'm a little bit, a little bit higher on him than yourself, but it it is an absolute big fight. You talked about it, you know, Henry Cejudo coming back, Sean O'Malley. It's tricky in terms of title eliminator, but very well one of these guys are going to find themselves fighting for a title very soon. Uh, yeah, I'm in the group of people that think Peter Yan is, is hands down the best Bantamweight on the roster. 
Um, but I, I have to be realistic in myself, and when you watch those fights back and look at how they were, you know, the odds, um, he, he doesn't cover the price tags, man, in, in any of those uh, splits. Looking at where I got it at minus 165, it is a whole lot better than laying two and three to one on him, and I do think it is a little bit a little bit better matchup for him here. I, I don't think, you know, he's got the, the jujitsu to worry about that he had with Aljo. He doesn't have the six-foot long rangy bantamweight of Sean O'Malley in front of him, and uh, five rounds is what Jan's made for. He's that slow starter, the person who gets reads early on, and is pretty much like a Terminator down the stretch once he does find those reads. And, you know, Marab, of course, called the machine, has incredible cardio, but, man, Peter Jan's, his cardio, I think, is on another level as well. Incredible. Um, I am I am a bit more concerned about the cardio of Marab than I think some other people are. I, I know it's just a general concern being his first five-rounders, five but... When I was watching tape this week, some fights where he was like, you know, kind of given some resistance, um, the the Simone fight, yeah, he's up two rounds um, going into that fight, but it is a high pace, Ricky Simone getting back to his feet constantly, same with Frankie Sines, and, and in round three, Marab looks a little bit tired, and coming to his first rounder, you saw Al Jermaine in his first rounder, um, first time with Peter Yan, try to push that pace for three rounds, and you know, Peter Jan started to get those reads and just take over down the stretch because of the mismanagement of the gas tank. And with a 90% takedown defense from Peter Jan, a guy who just refuses to stay on bottom, um, man, I think he's going to make Mirab work. And I think we could see him take over down the championship stretches. And on the feet, it's a night and day difference for me. You basically see a 1-2 out of Mirab, and that's it, besides his spinning attacks that basically get him nowhere. You see him dropped by a washed-up inferior striker in Marlon Marias, and you know Marlon's not known for having a chin or cardio, and, and that just let Marab come back on him. And Marab's got that wide, uh, wide stance. I think Peter Jan's going to tear up the lead leg. Um, I compared a lot to that Aldo fight. The Aldo fight, um, you know, we see Aldo stuff in the takedowns early, having a ton of success in that fight, winning the first round. Um, and if that fight wasn't in Salt Lake City. Man, Aldo, I think, might have a little bit of a better conditioning going down the stretch because he was having success early. I don't know. Mareb's style of wrestling, you know, we talked about it. It's, it's He can get you down, but he can't hold you down. And whether that is a, a weight class issue or this guy just having a, a pure lack of control time. Also, no submissions in the UFC. This guy has nowhere near the black belt or the size of Aljamain. I do not see him locking up a body triangle and, and holding that yawn down for extended periods of time. So, to me, Marab doesn't have the volume, the kicks, the dominant control time that's given Peter Yawn issues in the past. So, um, I understand if you probably missed the line on Peter Yawn. I think look to play him live in this fight is a better option than chasing his money line now, but... You see FanDuel offer the 4-5 decision props and things like that all the time, and that could potentially be a good look. But yeah, a little bit higher on Peter Yan to take this one this week. In our co-main event, we are at heavyweight where we see Alexander Volkov take on Alexander Romanov. A uh, tricky fight for me, honestly, to cap here because I 100% see a path to victory for Alexander Romanov, but I have missed the line at this point, and I'm coming off, thank you are as well, fading him at a very, very good price against another high-level heavyweight um, who was able to fend off almost what could have been a 10-8 round in round one to come back and win rounds two and three. But another fight that took place at altitude at Salt Lake City, so I'm kind of curious just to see how much of an effect that did have on Romanov's cardio over three rounds. But man, Volkov um, is absolutely a top 10 heavyweight. The dude has a phenomenal gas tank, and to see him fend off like 20-something takedown attempts to, I think he got taken down 
10, 15 times against Curtis Blades, but was able to get up every single time. And if you have, if you're able to get up like that, I think that will tire Romanov out yet again. You know, he's coming in here with the size and strength or size and reach advantage, the experience, and a much better striker. I like how Romanov basically doesn't load up on anything. He picks his shots very well. He stabs right up, you know, straight through your high guard, comes around him with the hooks, works the teeps to the body. He really mixes his levels with everything. And while I talked about Peter Yan being a very good live opportunity to bed, this very well could be the best live spot on the card, in my opinion, if he were to survive round one. Um, the opening odds a lot closer to pick him. I kind of do understand a bet on uh, Alexander Romanov because it is the clearest path to victory here. Um, and he, he does always stick to the wrestling, which is nice. But I, I can't go chase a line that I've missed on a, a guy who's also proven twice to gas as he's going to climb the ranks. And uh, I think he's, you know Volkov's going to struggle heavily when they do clinch up early on in this fight. Um, Volkov is 100% going to get taken down. And it's what can he do at this age from bottom? Is he going to continue to work back to his feet? Or is it going to be like the Tom Aspinall where he gives up an arm, you know, and it's just out of basis of pure strength, not going to be able to get out of a submission. So cardio is a massive concern if you are back in Romanov, but I really can't shake that Aspinall fight as well. So as the line climbs, I guess it is dog or pass, but man, I'm going to go with Alexander Romanov. I see this fight a little bit differently. Here's the first thing. Two weeks in a row where the UFC has spared us the low-level heavyweight fights that have been being put on the main card, yeah. and we're giving you know amazing big boy matchups right here. Um, like you said, I do feel like this is a pretty binary fight coming up, coming from uh, you know breaking the fight down. You either have Romanov who's going to be able to do enough to finish or win a decision in the first seven and a half minutes of the fight, or you think Volkov is going to be able to survive that early onslaught. Um, and eventually we're on the gas tank and taking over for the, in what my opinion, the more important seven and a half minutes of the fight towards the end. Um, I think for from a betting perspective, I like the over one and a half for multiple reasons. First, I slightly lean Volkov here. I think he's faced similar styles in the past and performed how I think he needs to to win a fight against somebody like Romanov. And I, I go to the Curtis Blades fight. I think Curtis Blades is um, a much bigger heavyweight wrestler that shot for 25 takedown attempts and made Volkov get back to his feet 14 different times. I mean, you know, he might have to defend, Volkov might have to defend four good takedown attempts from Romanov before he's gassed. And, you know, if he is successful doing that, I think the over is going to hit there. Secondly, I think there's plenty of times where we see a dominant showing from Romanov where he's able to secure some top time early in the fight, conserve the energy, and, you know, go past that seven and a half minute mark before he starts to fall off. And, you know, I think if Romanov had the BJJ of Tom Aspinall, uh, I would be more concerned with him finishing Volkov early. But I think Romanov will be much more control-oriented against somebody who's so big in Volkov and just keeping him on the ground. I think that Volkov has proven that he can make guys work. And if I'm Romanov, after having the the cardio drop-off in his last few losses, um, you got to think that he's more concerned about keeping the top position and, and conserving that energy. I think if this fight was a five-rounder, I'd pick Volkov easily right, in this yeah. spot. Um, but in 15 minutes, I do think that Romanov has a lot more leniency when it comes to his cardio, cardio concerns. Officially, I'm going to go with Volkov. I think he'll drag this fight out enough to where we'll see that, that ugly side of Romanov's game. So I've got Volkov late or by decision, and the over one and a half is really how I'm looking to play the fight. 
For my fight of the night, I went with Tyson Nam taking on Bruno Silva. I think this fight deserves some spotlight. It's being buried so far down on the card. It only felt right to make this my fight of the night. Both guys making waves in one of the fastest growing divisions in the UFC. And I think they're both coming off career best performances. Tyson Nam came into his last fight as a 3-1 dog against Oday Osborne, who was on a winning streak at the time, and knocked him silly with a signature counter right in the first round. Nam is the kind of fighter that produces incredible finishes, but essentially his only game plan in every fight he's had is to land that one-punch KO shot. It looks great on the highlight clip, but when it doesn't land, it can be really frustrating watching someone who either can't or doesn't want to change their style if it's not effective early in the fight. He's also, you know, a complete anomaly all the way around. He's a 39-year-old that's competing with the best of the best in a lower weight class, and he's a KO artist in the flyweight division. Like, those are two things that, you know, shouldn't be happening, but they are. Bruno Silva, on the other hand, he's just kind of now finding a stride in the prime of his career coming off back-to-back first-round finishes in the UFC. He's one of these guys who came into the UFC young and had to overcome some tough matchups where I think he learned a lot as a fighter. And, you know, honestly, I think his relationship with Henry Cejudo might have saved him his job after starting the UFC 0-3. But since then, he's looked great, and I think he's actually got another fun, winnable fight in front of him against Tyson Nam. I think, obviously, the biggest set threat for Silva is the power from Nam, who's going to look that land, look to land that power shot as Silva tries to close the distance on him. For Silva, I think his game plans will involve, you know, utilizing more of uh, his skill set than just the striking that he's shown in the last two fights that he's won. I consider Silva to be the much more dynamic fighter of the two, and coming out of a camp like Fight Ready, I think that they'll have a solid game plan to deal with a one-dimensional fighter like Tyson Nam. I expect the wrestling to come early and often from Silva, and just when Nam starts to think he's found that timing of Silva's entries, I expect Silva to line him up for some power shots of his own and put Nam on his ass. I don't think a lot of people are calling that, but I do think Silva's actually going to find the KO shot in this one, and it might might come late as soon as Tyson thinks that he has the read on on Silva's takedown entries. So, uh, for someone who used to hate on the flyweight division quite a bit, you've been you've been picking for them quite a bit for your fights. Uh, but yeah, both guys in kind of finding their stride right now, coming off first round knockouts. Uh, and they've now been moved to the first fight of the night, which typically tries to be highlighted with some violence or something. So, guys are in the good uh, good spot to start it out with a bang. You talked about it being almost forty years old, man, in the lightest weight class there is, and then coming off an ACL tear prior to getting the win over O'Day, there is some question marks always as to when will the drop off either because there's going to come a fight where Tyson Nam walks in here and there's a significant drop off from him because um, he's clearly a finished product. He is a guy who's proven over time to be hard to take down, hard to hold down. Um, pretty much tends to force you on the feet into a striking battle where he's always going to hold the power advantage and you know willing to duke it out with you um, but super low volume always looking for the home run shot and at 125 it's something you never really want to back um, Bruno's last two they almost seem like a, a thank you and or a relationship like you said with Henry Cejudo because you, you come in and you have to debut against Taha at 135 and Taha pops for fucking Royd so it's then you get David Dvorak and Ulan Bekov, two top 10 flyweights, both guys who are much more promising uh, prospects than, than Silva was at the time. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, Like you said, I think he's grown tremendously in that level of competition that he's fighting. 
Um, and then you talk about him training with Henry Cejudo. How about Demetrius Johnson being on the mat with these guys every single day? How about the GOAT John Jones being there for this camp? That raises your morale and motivation for every single person on the mat. Uh, right hands look money lately. He's got a nasty calf kick, and Tyson's got the widest base, you know, throwing down, ham- you know, trying to like sit down on his punches. It's going to be another money shot. You talked about him way more likely to be the one to mix it up. I think he's a much faster person, and for a fight in flyweights that has a always has a good chance of going the 15 minutes, he's the much better minute winner of the two, I would say. You know, so uh, you talked me into it. Uh, I got minus 180 before the line jumped up to over two to one. You got a unit on Bruno Silva too, man. For my fight of the night, we head to the bantamweight division where we see Saeed Nurmagomedov taking on Jonathan Martinez. Um, another fight to me that is a whole lot uh, closer than the lines indicating. You got two talented strikers here, both of them on four fight win streaks, and you know Saeed opened as a minus two twenty five favorite. I do think we saw some potentially sharp money come in on Martinez early, and I think the Nurmagomedov name honestly has a whole lot to do with why Saeed is now up to a minus two fifty um, this week. He, you know. You look at the last name, you think he's a grappler. Absolutely not. 9% takedown accuracy, 2 for 21 on the takedowns attempts in the UFC. Um, 100% um, you know, a striker. I will give him, he's got a nasty little front choke series that he's pulled on uh, both Stamen and Kakramanov coming from behind the last fight. Um, But he's very dynamic on the feet, man. Um, I think he's going to be the 100% faster of the two. Um, And he's much more unorthodox than Jonathan Martinez. You'll see him throwing spinning back kicks and things, but I'm not necessarily sold on the gas tank of Saeed, man. You know, he pulled off, like I said, the last-minute Hail Mary uh, submission win over Kakramanov. I know there was a whole lot of grappling in that fight, but to go back to the Douglas Andrade fight where I laid a bunch of juice, to go to the Justin Scoggins fight in his debut, they're another two, you know, evidence of his his gas tank looking suspect. And when you look at Jonathan Martinez, and you've watched our podcast before, you know the guy's taking quite a bit of shit on here. A little bit unprofessional on the scale, missing weight a few times, going up to featherweight. Now back down at bantamweight. Um, but I do think, you know, I think the guy's making steady improvements between fights. And I, I think he's beginning to really look better. Uh, Factory X Muay Thai, uh, he has really good Muay Thai. Uh, he doesn't look for his home run shot. It's just a whole lot of peppering you with volume. Uh, really good leg kicks, really good teep kicks, finished Cub Swanson with leg kicks last time. And, you know, while I I do think you need to wrestle a whole lot to beat Saeed, I think Jonathan Martinez um, has a good enough striking that he's not going to get finished here. Um, I think he's going to make this a very, very close decision. It's going to be a volume versus flashy strikes. Um, I want the best number that I can get here um, because it's, it's going to be a close 15-minute striking battle. So I'm going to go Martinez by decision. That's sitting at plus 380. I think that's a phenomenal bet in this fight, uh, and I'll take Jonathan Martinez for the pick. I, I don't know. For this fight, I think a lot of people want to fade Saeed, and when they're betting on Jonathan Martinez, the best hope that they could possibly have is for Martinez to make this close. I don't think he wins a striking battle on the feet. I think you kind of touched on on Saeed having more of the flashier strikes. I think that's what's going to win him the fight ultimately, is he's going to have the strikes that uh, stay in the minds of the judges, especially towards the end of the round. I think he's the bigger threat on the ground if it does somehow end up on there. And you, you kind of touched on it. I need a wrestler to fade Saeed here. Uh, with Jonathan Martinez, I really do think you, you know the 
the most optimistic way that he wins this is by de- by a close decision at that. And, uh, you know, just playing his money line, I'm, I'm not really too big of a fan, but I do understand where you're coming from talking about Martinez by decision. Although I do think it's just a spot where we've seen Saeed not really live up to his potential in the last two fights, and we're seeing that affected uh, with his money line, where I think normally coming into this fight, if the other two hadn't have happened, he'd probably be a 450 here. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think this is a great fight of the night, and I expect it to be closer um, than the odds might suggest, but I do expect Saeed to get the nod here. For my fighter to watch, I went with Cedriquis Dumas. And this guy's been the talk of the town for this fight card, man. And after watching one of his interviews earlier this week, I understand why. He is uh, <laughs> he is very different from the traditional martial artist you might picture making their debut in the UFC. Uh, he's got the face tattoos. He's fighting out of Pensacola, Florida. Has a funny way of talking. His tapology page says his background's in freestyle. And I don't think they're talking about freestyle, freestyle wrestling. Um, in his interview, he says he's only been serious about trying to fight for the last five years. And at this point, he just feels like it's the best way he can provide for his family while doing something that he has a natural gift for. Um, I think he's been in the spotlight of you know, this week for asking for a fee before agreeing to be on a podcast leading up to his debut. And honestly, I never thought about it, but it's kind of like a double-edged sword. I bet $100 for a debutante off the Contender Series fighting 12K, 12K contracts. $100 might actually be helpful, and nothing is guaranteed in this game. So he's trying to make the money where he can. But on the flip side, he's essentially a nobody in the fight game at this point, and getting his name out there as much as possible is probably the best option. Truthfully, I think this little controversy surrounding the request for the money did more than him for him than the podcast or the $100 <laughs> would have ever done. So it kind of worked out for him here. Uh, Dumas, he's one of the guys who's had a who has had a ton of line movement since the opening odds. He started at minus 150 and has been steadily bet down to minus 200 or more in most places. And I'll be honest, man, I am not too impressed with his seven-fight win streak. I think a lot of uh, people that he's fought, they've been favorable matchups. And when 9-4 and four, Josh Fremd is by far your toughest opponent to date, I think that's all you need to know about the, le- like, the level to expect out of this fight. Um, if he does win, I expect his you know, your unique persona to win him some fans. He's not afraid to speak his mind, and he's entertaining to say the least. Uh, so that's why I chose him as my fighter to watch, although... I'd be, uh, I'd be, you know, questioning whether I'm laying that juice on him uh, in his debut. Yeah, as the week gets closer and that line continues to climb, uh, I'd be looking at Josh Frim, man. But uh, SD Dumas is gonna have all the attention this week, 100. Uh, percent Fighter for me, I'm gonna go with Victor Henry, man. You just don't know what Victor Henry is gonna show up. You go debut on us as a plus 400 underdog and put on the performance of a lifetime against Tony Barcelos. You know, going out there, throwing almost 400 strikes, stuffing six takedowns, gas tank just on another level, footwork on another level, not getting touched. And then you followed up dropping the ball as the minus 400 favorite against the Sun Sal. And, you know, whether that's the Sun Sal's ability to just make people stare at him like he always does in his fights or if that just wasn't the same Victor Henry that showed up, I just don't know, man. He's 35 years old. He's already got 26 professional fights underneath his belt getting a late start to the UFC run and you know when I when I look at the line if the Victor Henry of debut shows up minus 150 could be a pretty generous number over Tony Gravely who tends to kind of have cardio issues late in the fight and the Victor Henry of last fight shows up and you know 
Gravely may be able to get the wrestling going and maybe get, gets the boxing going. I, I don't know, man. You just don't know what Victor Henry's going to show up, and you got to lay a little bit of juice to play him this week. It's hard to get a read on him here, in my opinion, so that's why he's my fighter to watch this week. For my underdog of the card, we've talked about him a little bit already. I'm taking Alexander Volkov, man. I do not have a lot of faith in Alexander Romanov. He's one of my favorite fighters just because of the way that he fights. I love that he goes in there and just gives it his all, uh, win or lose. But the two times that he's faced decent talent in Juan Espino and Marcin Tibera, he has not made a good account of himself. And you look at the wins that he's had in the UFC, Chase Sherman, Jared Vandera, Marcus Rogerio de Lima, and Roki Martinez. I mean, they couldn't have scraped the bottom of the barrel hard enough for him. And those are the only ones that he's winning, and they're, they're not going past the, the second round. Alexander Volkov is by far the best fighter he's fought to date, mm-hmm. and he's an underdog here. Alexander Volkov has gone five rounds with Curtis Blades. I mean, he's he's fought so much higher level of competition. Volkov isn't giving up any size. For the last fight Romanov weighed in at for Tibura, he weighed in at 239 pounds. Alexander Volkov is, is the type of guy to come in here a little bit heavy just to keep add some pounds and make Romanov work. I think Alexander Volkov... He weighs in about the 256-pound mark, something like that. I bet he comes in heavier for this fight. This is a fight where I think if he makes Romanov work just a little bit, he has the edge, he has the technique, he has the all-around MMA game. Volkov's the side here for me, man. I think it's it's clear as day. I'm not impressed with Romanov in the slightest. I don't know if I get there pre-fight, uh, but if he's made it through round one, I'm taking a dog shot on him 100% live. Uh, underdog for me, I do have an underdog shot um, on Rafael Asuncao at plus 130 uh, and a little bit on this decision prop at plus 210. Uh, laying juice on a 37-year-old Davy Grant, uh, big no-no for me. I was kind of shocked to honestly see this guy as the favorite. Uh, I think a lot of other people were as well as the line has come down toward Asuncao's uh, way. The, the one concern really is that he's 40 years old and maybe the chin's not there. You know, he's lost four of last six while Davies won four of his last six. But when you just look at the skill gap and level of competition that these guys are fighting, you got, you're talking about a guy for real who has wins over TJ Dillashaw, Pedro Munoz, Al Jermaine Sterling, Marlon Marais, Rob Font. I mean, he's going toe-to-toe with the best Bantamweights in the world. And you got a guy who's beating Martin Day and Luis Smolka. I mean, it's complete talent gaps. And and then you look at Victor Henry, how good he looked against Barcelos. Just 30-27 Victor Henry. Made Victor Henry stare into space, scared to throw it. And that's what a Sun Sal does to you, man. He makes every single fight close. And while Davey Grant, sure, is a type to walk forward and throw hands, a lot of guys are. And, and Rafael stuns them and... and is able to just throw him off their rhythm, man. I think he's the cleaner striker. I think he's a little bit better defensively than Davey Grant is. Um, I think he'll mix in more kicks. I think he has the ability to mix in takedowns. Davey Grant's given up plenty of takedowns, been submitted plenty of times. And the Cody Garbrandt, I mean, that's kind of an anomaly. Ricky Simone, you're talking about a guy who's like more than 10 years younger. Like, Rafael Sunsau is a lot harder to hit clean than he has looked lately. The guy is seven and two in decisions against far better competition. So I thought a plus one thirty was a generous price tag to roll the dice a little bit on a Sunsau. 
For my prop, I'm going with a Sun Sao decision only. You kind of laid out the blueprint of how I see this fight going down. Um, a Sun Sao, his biggest issue as of late has been his durability. He's been finished in three out of his last four losses. And I think you nailed it as far as I think he's got Davy Grant covered in just about everywhere. And I've seen a lot of Davy Grant fights where Grant is not winning the exchanges but he finds the mark and is ending end up able to finish his opponent even in a fight he's not necessarily losing and then i've also seen davy grant drop a few decisions whenever he's outworked in positions and on the feet and i think a sun Sao possesses both those abilities so um, you can get a sun Sao decision only at minus 135 and i think it's nice that we're both on the sun Sao side regardless of how we're playing it yeah very nice to hear that from you as that's the the path to victory i think he takes as well uh, prop for me, I'm going to go Ryan Spann inside the distance, plus 180, plus 185. Uh, not going to spend too much time because we broke down the fight two weeks ago and supposed to be the main event. Nikita Krylov pulls out uh, on fight day. Um, and originally, Nikita was the pick, man, but I'm going to lie to you, as the fight got closer, I'm glad I didn't have any money on Nikita because it became a much more dog or pass situation for me and even kind of more so in the rebooking. I think the catch weight benefits more of Ryan Spann, who's a more massive light heavyweight, and Nikita Krylov as well. Um, you know, I know he trains in Russia, so like I don't know what his training's been like over the last two or three weeks. I know he was also sick at one point. Yeah. Um, and, and Ryan Spann, man, real finishing upside, both power in his hands, and he's got a very nasty submission game, particularly with the guillotine. And Nikita Krylov somehow finds himself in a submission, being submitted in six of his nine losses. On a fight that is lined minus 500 to not go the distance, I, I don't think the finishing equity, especially in a three-round fight now, is that much more swayed toward Nikita Krylov. So at plus 185, Spain inside the distance, I think it's an excellent price tag. For my best bet of the night, I went with the Bruno Silva money line at minus 165. I got two and a half units on it. I told P earlier, I'm not sure I needed much more than the tapology page to cap this fight. <laughs> Uh, you have a 39-year-old KO artist coming off a career-best performance, upsetting O'Day Osborne as a 3-to-1 dog. On the opposite end, you have a 32-year-old Bruno Silva also hitting stride in the prime of his career with back-to-back -back finishes. And he's shown in the past that he passed that he has multiple paths to victory outside of just the KO power in his hands. Uh, I think that this is a perfect by low spot for somebody in Bruno Silva who hadn't had the best showing in his first three fights in the UFC. So you're still able to get a good price tag on somebody who is a legitimately good MMA fighter and has more than just one one method of victory. Um, with <laughs> with uh, Tyson Nam, I told P, it's like, I'll eat the loss every single time if a 39 year old flyweight can ko people consistently yeah. that's fine with me i just i don't see it happening here against bruno silva who i think is just a better mma fighter in general and only having to lay minus 165 or honestly up to minus 200 i really like the play i think that he's got this and uh, if we're just in the business of picking winners i do think that this is a winner right here yeah i got minus 180 so i'm telling you on the best bet i got it tracked for a unit as well uh, my best bet for me i'm gonna go with peter yan I, I did get in early at minus 165 and it's that line has since gone but i think if you can find a way to play him whether it's live after a round round four or five decision prop I really like Peter Yan to get back on track here, and I think the UFC is making it a little bit sweeter for him, making it Aljo's training partner. Um, you know, a different set of judges, and, and he does it to himself, we're right, but a different set of judges 
beyond possibly holding the belt, defending it against Cejudo or something in the next coming months. You know, training at Tiger Muay Thai as always. Um, I bet this guy, I hope this guy is laser focused as ever to get his belt back. Uh, be be scared to be standing, you know, being the Bantamweight stare to crowns from uh, Peter Yan as he tries to get back on track. Uh, you know, I just look at what causes Peter Yan trouble. Um, I think you need to be a whole lot bigger than him and, and have a much more control style of wrestling to can keep him down because his takedown defense is incredible. And when he hits to the mat, he is right back up onto his feet. Mareb has not submitted anybody in the UFC, and he does not have the black belt near that Aljamain does. He's not going to backpack him and lock in a body triangle. I just don't think he has the tools to beat Peter Yan. I think Yan's going to work back to the feet, box him up anytime it is on the feet, chew up the lead leg, and really put a stamp on this fight as it goes late. Peter Yan, best bet this week. Moving on to our quick pick section of the podcast, we start off in the welterweight division where we see Carlston Harris taking on the replacement Jared Gooden. Um, Jared Night Train Gooden. I haven't seen his name in a while. You're right. They brought him back. Um, you know, I'm glad that he's getting another shot. I do not think that this is where he's going to get his W. Uh, I've got Carlston Harris here. Yeah, he, uh, looking at his page, he went 4-1 and one since the UFC cut him, with I think the only loss comes to Impic Sangane. So mm-hmm. really not bad, worked his way back. But uh, yeah, Carlston was fully prepared here. I, I think I'm going to go with him as well. Tyson Nam, Bruno Silva in the flyweight division, touched on this fight uh, quite a bit, both of us here on Bruno Silva. Uh, moving up a weight class to the Bantamweight division, we see Tony Gravely taking on Victor Henry. I'm going to go against the grain a little bit. I like Tony Gravely here. A little bit more proven. Yeah, um, yeah I'll take Tony Gravely here. It's tricky for me because, you know, Victor fighter to watch, and I, you just don't know what, what Victor is going to show up. And I do want to think that maybe a Sun Sal did what he always does best and just, you know, calls the staring contest. So I'm going to go with Victor Henry to put up that cardio and win a decision. J.J. Aldrich versus Ariana Lipsky. You're never going to catch me laying chalk on a ladies' fight like this, but I, I really do think J.J. Aldrich is the side, man. I think she's got her covered everywhere. Yeah, I think that she's probably the side as well and durable enough that I think she'll be able to withstand Lipsky early. So, yeah, I'll go J.J. Aldridge as well. Not laying that price on her, though. Um Moving up to the Bantamweight division, Mario Bautista sitting at like minus 1,000 over Guido Canetti. Yeah, I'll take Mario Bautista here, but I don't like that price at all. And for what it's worth, like Guido Early, is, is he's actually like a decent fighter. Wow. Um, he is old, though, and I understand why he's not getting very much love here. This is a very tricky one because you got Mario Bautista as a big favorite, so people want to play him inside the distance. They want to play him under, and two fights ago, this guy wasn't finishing Jay Perrin. You know, so it's it, it's very tricky. I'll, Mar, Mario Bautista's the pick. I, I think he does get around two or three submission, but I, I won't be playing that fight. Cedriquez Dumas taking on Josh Fremd. Man, I need to dig into some more. I really just started focusing on this fight t- today. Uh, I'm starting to lean toward the dog and Josh Frim. He's going to be the pick as well. Yeah, I'm taking Jim, I'm taking uh, Josh Fremd as well. I did do some digging on this fight, and Dumas does not uh, impress me whatsoever. And I think he's got had some favorable matchups in the past. This is his first true test, and I'm, I'm willing to lay uh, on a good price tag some money on Josh Frim to kind of upset this guy who I think's a fraud. Uh, moving down a weight class, Rafael Sunsau versus Davy Grant. We're both on a Sunsau here. Uh, it's not by a, like a huge margin, but I do think that he's the uh, 
better MMA fighter. Yeah, I got a sunset by decision here. Uh, Lucas Bresky versus Carl Williams, a fight that I, I really don't care um, too much about betting. I think Carl Williams has probably got the better gas tank and the better wrestling game. I think he's going to win a decision. Yeah, I'll take Bresky here as well. I don't expect a very high-level fight out of this one, though, to be honest with you. Uh, moving down a weight class to the light heavyweights, Victor Petrino taking on Anton Turkalj. Turkley, yeah, I'm gonna go with Anton here. Not a, not like a very confident pick, but I like Anton here. I think he got screwed making his debut <laughs> against Jailton Almeida, and uh, I, I like him in this spot. Yeah, Vitor has got a massive finishing upside early on the feet, and I think Anton's got massive finishing upside on the ground. Uh, Vitor's a gasser. I think we're both gonna be on the under two and a half potentially here, uh, but I'm gonna go Petrino to get the knockout early. Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Jonathan Martinez. You know, originally, I think I was leaning towards Saeed, but I think it's going to be a super, super close striking battle, man. And at plus 210 for a money line, plus 380 by decision, I think the value is sitting on Jonathan Martinez. So why not lean another dog here? I am on the other side there. I'm going with Saeed Nurmagomedov. Um, moving up a weight class, we go to the featherweight division where we see Ricardo Ramos taking on Austin Lingo. I don't trust Rick Ramos at those <laughs> at that price. Um, I do kind of I favor him in this fight for sure, but I don't I don't like his price tag at all. So Ramos for the pick. Yeah, minus four hundred is getting a little steep. We're talking eighty percent at that point. You know, a uh, little bit too much. But I do got Ricardo Ramos to get a submission win here. Nikita Krylov versus Ryan Spann. Glad to have this fight back, even if it is three rounds. I don't think we need the full three rounds. Ryan Spann inside the distance for the pick. Nice. I uh, Yeah, Krylov being sick and having to get it rescheduled, I hate that. All right. Ugh, I'll still go, I'm, I think I'm still going with Krylov here, although I like, you know, Spann inside the distance is his win condition, yeah. so I'm, I'm with you there. But I think Krylov's the better fighter, so I'll, I'll pick him. Uh, co-main event heavyweight division Alexander Volkov taking on Alexander Romanov I've got Volkov here a little bit of disagreement on the card this week you know uh, make it a little bit interesting on Saturday I, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with the other Alexander without the without the E at the end I'm gonna go Romanov <laughs> uh, I think he, I think he does enough to get the win with the takedowns or potentially a sub Peter Yan Marab Devalishvili best bet this week Peter Yan's gonna get back on track Probably by decision, but I, I think a championship round finish isn't off the table. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i also going with Peter Yan. I do not think it's going to be quite what the odds makers have it right now, but uh, I'm going with Peter Yan as well to get the job done. Yeah, kind of learn our G, or lesson laying minus 250-something on, on Peter Yan. I get you. Uh, appreciate you guys hanging out with us. We are back up to 14 fights this week, early night of fights. Uh, Hoping to keep that that heater rolling. Now we're on 25-plus units last week. We'd love to have a similar result. Appreciate you hanging out with us. Make sure to like and subscribe to the video. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.